as I say in the book, every question lives three lives. So if a team member is confused and they have to ask you, hey, by the way, is it okay to use emoji in this email? And you go, yes, great. That's question number one. That's the first life. But now they should document that in your internal systems or what I call the manager manual. That's the second life. And then life number three is sometimes you'll post information publicly on your website so that customers and visitors also have access if the quest, the Q&A is kind of related to that. You will know if your style guide isn't clear because team members ask you questions or they turn in work that you don't like. That means your style guide needs work. You got to keep building it out. And it gets smarter and smarter over time to the point where when the third team member touches it, it's abundantly clear what to do. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. In the last episode, episode 76, I talked with Jeffrey Shaw about how you can gain more control in your business and in your life through his self-employed ecosystem of personal development, business strategies, and daily habits. In this week's episode, I'm taking those lessons a bit further to discuss how you can gain more control in your business and in your life through developing the right systems. Look, We're more than halfway through 2022, and people are still struggling with some major challenges. Too many people are overly busy. Too many people are overworked. Too many people are overwhelmed. And a lot of times, all of that leads to burnout or even worse. And when that happens to us, we can't effectively serve the people around us who matter the most. And then that makes us feel even more overwhelmed and more stressed. And I think if we were to pull back the curtain and see what was going on, we'd see that most people are not doing the right work. Well, think about yourself. Think about your own role. Can you honestly say that you're consistently doing the work that you and only you can do? Or better yet, the work that you and only you should do. If you're like most people, then you're likely doing too much of the work that you shouldn't do and not focusing enough on the work that you should be doing. But imagine for a moment that it could be better. Imagine having the ability to travel or even having to, God forbid, quickly take time off to handle a family emergency without stressing out that all of your work will fall apart while you're gone. Imagine being able to work fewer hours while making an even greater impact since you're working on more strategic work. Imagine being able to empower your team to answer their own questions or develop their own solutions before they even have to ask you how to solve a problem. Imagine being able to have more free time without that free time negatively affecting your business or career. Well, you don't have to just imagine it. You can actually have that in your business. But it's not going to magically happen just by you hoping for it, imagining it, or manifesting it. No, you've got to put in the work 
to build the right systems and the right strategies to make it happen. And this week's guest can help you do just that. It's Jenny Blake. Jenny is an author, a podcaster, a keynote speaker who loves helping business leaders move from friction to flow through smarter systems. Jenny hosts two podcasts with over 1 million downloads combined, free time for heart-based business owners, and pivot with Jenny Blake to help people learn how to navigate change. And she's the author of three best-selling books, including her latest, Free Time. Lose the busy work, love your business. Jenny and I talk about her lessons that help business leaders get unstuck from what she refers to as the burdensome bees. Bored, bottlenecked, burned out, or buried by bureaucracy. And then along with getting unstuck, we also talk about Jenny's practical systems and strategies, all designed to help you free your mind, your time, and your team to do more of your best work. The work that you and only you should do. So here it is. Here's my interview with Jenny Blake. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. And congratulations on free time. This is your this is your third book? Yes, this is my third book. And I went indie this time. So went the hybrid publishing route and got to have so much more creative control over the whole process, which is a really fun publishing experiment. I know, I know. And I noticed that as I was reading your book, we were actually talking about this earlier. So of course, I read a lot of books now. And I get to see and like really dive into the quality that goes into creating and printing and producing books. And I love the amount of quality that you put into the book, everything from the pages and the font and the color, the ribbon bookmark, all the things. I loved it. Thank you so much. It was such a, a craft. I mean, a friend said it like it's almost an art book. And it was to me, I really saw it that way as it was the first time that I got to control the PL statement of the book and make certain choices that a publisher would never do for an author of my size. Like I'm kind of a mid-list author. I'm, I'm a good seller, but I'm not going to be the best seller. I'm not Brene Brown or Simon Sinek. So something like the ribbon it's hand-stitched. It's $2 a book. Most publishers would say, give me that $2 profit. I'm not putting it into a ribbon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but from the very inception of this book, I thought it should have a ribbon because a ribbon symbolizes the most practical, functional thing that I could give to the reader, which is a built-in bookmark. And the question I asked the publisher Idea Press before I even signed on with them was, can we have a ribbon? Like, <laughs> you can do whatever you want, but it's your trade-offs to make. So that was one of them. There you go. I'm glad well, you appreciated it. Well, thank you for doing that because usually when I'm reading a book, I'll either use my pencil that I use as a highlighter, I'll stick it in the last page that I've read, or I'll use the jacket, you know, depending on how thick the book may get. I can use the jacket to use that as a bookmark. Oh, yes, so, I do so, that too. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for simplifying my book reading experience by including the ribbon. You are so very welcome. Yeah. Well, so beyond the actual production of the book, I want to talk about the writing. I want to talk about your your journey in writing free time. And I'm curious, what drove you to write the book? A couple things. One, I'd been talking about business and business building 
specifically what I call heart-based business behind the scenes for many years in my private community. But I never really had the courage to talk about it publicly because I would compare myself to my business heroes. And I just thought, I don't know as much as they do, or I haven't built and sold five businesses, or I don't earn over a million dollars in mine. Another impetus that sparked it was that my right-hand person in my business, after five years, she transitioned out of the role. And in doing that, I, I started to capture, well, what would I want to tell the next person of how we work, how I operate? And at first, this was just a simple bulleted list. But as I started walking, commuting, showering, all these ideas were pouring in about how I work and how I think and how this person should handle things. That became like a nine page Google doc. It just kept growing and growing. I then turned it into a one hour workshop, then a 16 lesson mini course called Free Up Founder Time. And when the pandemic hit and all my speaking gigs got canceled, I was home and I just felt like all my corporate work has kind of wiped off the table in one fell swoop, or at least a lot of it. I still have some licensing clients. Now is the time, as nerve wracking as it felt to go all in on free time and heart-based business, that phrase free time also came to me, gosh, I think it was a, like toward middle of 2020. Oh, wow. And just, I gave myself permission that, yes, I'm going to share what I have to say. I may not be the end all be all expert. I think of myself as a qualified curator, but I want to talk about business and systems and operational efficiency in a way that's fun and joyful and actually celebrate. Why do I love software? Why do I love systems? Because it creates free time. And so the book is meant to be a celebration, not just some kind of drag of a business book that gives you a bunch of homework. Yeah, well, and it went from what you said was initially a checklist, went from a checklist to a system, an all-out system. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I call, I call it now the manager manual. It became a guide to running my business. I call it in the book, I call it, you probably know, the Fiji test. Could a stranger step into the business if I were whisked to Fiji for three weeks with no devices, instead of getting hit by a bus, which I kept right. envisioning, which is no yeah. fun at all. If I get whisked to Fiji, could someone step in and help out? And I found that so much of my bottlenecking and burnout as a business owner came from holding it all in my head and holding all the responsibility on my plate. And the more I could document and delegate and describe how I do things, the more I could get help and the more I could take that pressure off. Yeah. And I do really appreciate the whisk away to Fiji analogy, because like you were saying, you know, so many times when we talk about wanting to document everything, say, well, what if this person gets hit by a bus? You know, and that's not really fun to think I about. Know. Over you know? and over. I mean, I've yeah. been self-employed now for almost, well, let's say 11 and a half years. Can you imagine if I was asking the bus question? <laughs> yeah. What, every month, every week for 12 years? Ah. <laughs> And then and, you start uh, looking out for buses. Like, you know what? I don't want to get hit by a bus. I know. <laughs> In New York, it's like, I don't want to get pushed into the subway, but that's a whole yeah. nother problem. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't have to do with business. But that does speak to something that a number of business owners and business leaders are talking about now is creating the ability for yourself to go on, you know, whether you call it a sabbatical or like a month-long vacation or whatever it is, the ability to go on a vacation or be away from your business for longer than just a couple of weeks and still have it run like clockwork. Yes, which is the name of another great book that I, I, know. I love, Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. Exactly. Like, 
what they describe it as a four-week vacation, can the owner step away for four weeks and not only not have the business fall apart, but have it grow in their absence? And I love that lens on it. That's the next layer of this. If mine's a blue belt, this is now getting into brown or black belt, which is not only do things not fall apart, they grow, they improve while you're gone because you're not controlling it all so much. That's it. That's that next level. And where you know that you've achieved something to not just keep it from falling apart, but for it to actually grow. Yes. So I'm curious, it seems like through the pandemic, we've come out of like the past couple of years with more focus than ever before, I think, around valuing our time more and trying to achieve more free time. What do you think has been driving that? Well, I think the, the pandemic, it was this first time in all of our lifetimes that the entire planet hit pause. The entire planet got pivoted. It was not just any one country, one city, one person, one company. It was everybody. So you could not not ask the big questions. And it was this time of reckoning and reevaluating, reimagining, reigniting, recalibrating all the rewords of going backward and and reconsidering. I mean, I actually did make a list of all these rewords during the pandemic yeah. because it created so much space for us all to ask, is the way that we're working, working? And life is short. Are we spending our time in a way that we want to? Are we spending time with our loved ones? Are we present when we are spending that time? Are we working in a way on work that is our highest and best work in the world and contribution? And so I think that if the, for those of us who had the privilege to ask these questions and had the option of working remotely or redesigning how we're working, it would be hard not to make some big changes. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people took a look at themselves and looked at not so much what they were prioritizing, but a lot of times I think it's what we allow others to prioritize for ourselves. And I think a lot of people started pushing back and saying, you know what? No, I want to take better control of my life. But I think I've seen where a lot of people are starting to say, no, I want to take better control but not necessarily understanding how to do that. So you, you've you've seen people that are part of the great resignation. They've left a job because they, they realized like that's not what they wanted to do. They weren't getting what they wanted out of it. They went into a new job. And now we're seeing that a lot of people that have changed jobs in the past year, the first few months into the job, they're realizing not what they thought. It's not as rosy as they thought. And now they're looking for something else. So mm. I think that all speaks to this drive for people knowing that they want to do something better but not knowing how to do it. And that speaks to what I've heard you talk about before, the knowing-doing gap. Mm -hmm. How do you solve for that gap? I know. Well, it's such a journey. And this is that line that we all know how to have six-pack abs and become a millionaire, but are we doing it? You know? And so I also think there's a knowing-doing gap and then there's a soul's calling and a dharma or a, a true path that it may or may not be aligned for everybody listening to be a millionaire, you know, or like whatever dream we pin our hopes and dreams on. And I'm not trying to create any limiting beliefs for anybody, but I do sometimes, I try to detach myself from specific obsessing. I'm actually not that goal oriented, although I'm very driven, but 
I always want to work on things that are in the highest good for all involved, for me, for my team, for my clients, my community, the broader world, my family. And that's what I find to be an interesting question. What is in the highest good for all involved? So again, there's this knowing doing gap. Maybe we think we know what we want, but then life starts unfolding differently. And maybe that's also guiding us to say, okay, you're close, but that's not quite it. You know, like that hotter, colder game that we played as kids, right? Like, okay, hot, hotter, but let's say you, I call it an interim pivot. You pivoted. Okay. At least you got out of the old situation. You shook off some old stuff and aspects of yourself that wasn't working. That doesn't mean this new thing is the end all be all. I can say in my own business, I mean, I pivoted. My last book was called Pivot. I pivoted to free time. Everyone's like, oh, how meta. Well, of course it is because I wrote a book about change because I knew that change is the only constant. And I try to look for the, the macro container to fit. So the macro container of being a business owner is quite joyful for me, but I will continue to shift and explore and evolve within that container. And I think a lot of this is actually stripping away the clutter. And that's one of the biggest kind of focuses for me right now, having with free time having come out already and trying to juggle two podcasts and I just want to do less. I actually don't want to be actively creating 10 streams of income. If five of them are totally passive, that's fine. They can stay. But I'm trying to focus my energy, my time, my attention, do less and do it better. Just like Greg McCown talks about in Essentialism. Right. Yeah. And I think that speaks to a problem that a lot of people have where... I think there's this mindset, this, whether it's part of, you know, hustle culture or whatever, that once you free your time up, well, then that allows for you to add more into that new free time. I've got all this time freed up. Now, what can I add into that to do more or to create more revenue streams? It becomes, it's a habit. Like, I mean, I I talk about this in the book that we all have an inner time blueprint and the same way that if any of you dated the same kind of, we're in the unhealthy relationship more than once, you're like, oh, what do they have in common? It's me. I have a blueprint of who I'm attracting or who I'm attracted to that might need some tweaking, might need a tune-up. Well, the same thing is true for time and our relationship to time. We inherit a lot of stories about it, just like we do money from our parents, our schooling, our society or the workforce. And so if the habit is to fill your time, chock full, A to Z, totally scheduled to the minute, you're going to say you want free time, which I've done in my past, say I want it, and then just cram it back up again. I won't say challenging because I always like things to do. What if it was easy? But you got to be really conscious and active in saying, I'm going to leave my calendar to be spacious and free. I'm going to have a lot of white space. And on some days, I'm going to feel guilty because I'm almost frittering my time away because I have not overly planned it but that that's okay. Maybe that's what you needed on that day. And it's okay not to be, have the most productive day ever. And just exploring a little bit, getting curious, again, leaving the white space so that you can say yes to what your energy is actually driving you toward in that moment. And I think that goes to like what we're saying, like there's these scripts, these stories that have been passed down to us either through you know, our culture, our family, whoever else. And we just keep telling those to ourselves, like, you know what, if you're not retirement age, then you should be spending at least 40 hours per week doing your job or working on your business. Um, Whereas, you know, like what you said, 
it's okay. It's okay to not have to do that. And that talks that ties to one of the things that you put in your book that I really appreciated was permission. You know, you have a permission slip. You have to give yourself permission to not have to fill that time up. Yes. And I find that for myself and so many others, it's not that we need to do more. We need to do less and give ourselves permission to shift and drop all those expectations and shackles that no longer fit. And so that's that's why permission is such a big theme that I think we put too much pressure on ourselves and others. And in fact, the more we can drop, the more layers we can shed, the more free we will be. And that's my time and team. It's again, it's not just about the calendar. It's our minds as well. You can stay trapped in your mind. If you're layering your days with guilt and pressure and stress and anxiety, that time's not going to feel any more free, even if you don't add meetings to it. Right. Yeah. And then on the flip side, when you do have that free time, you'll be able to do things that are of value to yourself, whether they're work-related or not. But I do think it's in that free time where some of these big breakthrough ideas can come in. I Yeah, I think it's really the only time that they come in. And that's what's interesting. A lot of people kind of put themselves last. I talk about founder time is yes. time that's your own. It's one hour a week, two hours a week. Maybe it's two days a week. It's blocked off. Nobody can schedule it. By default, it's yours. And it's your time to zoom out on your life, on your business, and really think big picture and think strategically. And the thing is that our mind is our best resource. So it doesn't do anyone any good if your mind is fatigued and crowded. And so it's kind of counterintuitive, but I think a lot of people think, oh, I don't have time to block off four hours a week, but actually you don't have time not to because that's you at your best, those four hours. Yeah, that's it. That's absolutely it. All right. So we've talked about the value of this. Here's the value of having this free time. And here's the ability to give yourself permission to use that free time. But that all comes from you following your free time framework, uh, which is three phases, align, design, assign. So can you walk me through your free time framework? Yeah, the free time framework is an answer and a process to address the primary diagnostic of the book, which is how do you move from friction toward flow? Friction is that state of dread. You're drained, you're procrastinating, work feels heavy, you don't want to do it. We all know what friction feels like. And then flow is that state of effortless achievement. You're in the zone. You don't even realize time's flying. You're having a blast. If you pick a friction area in your life or work, the free time framework, Align, Design, Assign, kind of walks you through a process for eliminating or at least greatly reducing that friction. So is this area even aligned with your energy, your strengths, and your values? Or does it need to be realigned? Maybe you once loved podcasting, but it became really heavy for some reason. Okay, you can check in. Where did I veer off track with my energy, my strengths, and my values? Design is then being very intentional. What is my ideal outcome for this project? Like, What does success look like on a weekly basis? One episode a week. What's my ideal impact? How do you want the audience to feel when they're listening? You're li everyone who's here with us right now. You know, What's the impact that you want to have? And then process, design a process before you delegate one iota of it. What is a smooth 
workflow look like? And sometimes people get stuck here because they're like, well, I don't know if I knew I'd be doing it. Okay, well, you can take a step back and just say, I know what friction feels like. Imagine if this were easy, if this were fun, what does that look like? And then the third stage is very intentional that it's a sign because a lot of us hold on to too much and we become the bottleneck. A sign is about asking who will do what by when and how can you practice doubling how much you delegate so that you don't stop at the process piece. You actually say, okay, now how can I get the majority of this off my plate so that I'm left doing only the work that I love that I'm uniquely skilled at? Yeah. And I think maybe different people may find different phases challenging. I think for me, that assigned phase is probably the most challenging because it's so hard to let things go. For so many of us. Absolutely. You're not alone in that. And I I knew that me putting it into the free time framework was already going to be edgy. For so many people, myself included, it's the area I have the most challenges with. Well, so let's let's dive into those phases a little bit deeper. So in the align section, and you mentioned this earlier, talking about having founder time. So what's the real value of founder time? As Michael Gerber would say, instead of working in the business, you work on the business. That if you are delivering services, let's say, or you're even if you're working for someone else, you're working in your career, it's not time you're working on your career. And so founder time is, to the time to zoom out and, and look at from above, look, work on whatever you're kind of in the weeds with. So it's stepping out of the projects, out of the day-to-day, out of your to-do list, out of your tasks, and actually saying overall big picture, am I heading in the right direction? Is there more I could be doing? Is there more I could be dropping? And really trying to just continually kind of recalibrate and look for creative opportunities or how to improve existing projects. That's how I think about founder time. Yeah, and I think that that's something we talk about being able to assign and delegate. That's really something that as a business owner, as a business leader, that's really something that only you're able to do. Oh, yeah. And and just, again, it's Michael Gerber, but I love how he says, if you aren't doing this, you don't have a business, you have a job. Right. Like you've just built yourself a job where now you don't have one boss you have five for however many clients or you have 10 or you have 50. It starts to feel like you're reacting. I think that's how I feel when I don't have founder time. I feel like I'm reacting to what everybody else wants, what everybody else needs from me. And I'm not necessarily honoring myself or carving out the role, the way that best suits my strengths and energy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, and this is something that we talked about earlier. Um, I think one of the things business owners have been taught over the past I don't know, decade plus is around diversifying your revenue streams. You know, you want to have a large variety of revenue streams. And I get it. I understand the need for diversification. But at the same time, that feels pretty complex to me. And, you know, me, my goal is to simplify business. And you talked about this earlier about simplifying your revenue streams, like, you know, not having so many, putting more effort into fewer revenue streams. So I'm curious how that helps businesses. Yeah, there's a lot of advice about again, diversifying your streams of income. And that's certainly a good thing overall in life. Like it's good to have a mix of stocks and maybe index funds and real estate and your business. Where I got into trouble was that in my business, I had like 10 different income streams. And what that does is it 10 X is the level of complexity in the business. 
you have 10 different types of messaging of, I mean, they could be related, but sales pages, customers, how to support those customers, how to create those products, how to, you know, everything about documenting how to run that income stream adds a lot of complexity. So become it can become quite hard for the business owner and the team members to know which end is up. Whereas if you pick three streams of income, like the ones I narrowed down to in my business are recurring revenue. So I like things that recur automatically. Licensing for companies recurs annually. That's when they renew their contracts. I have pivot and free time coaches. That's not me. Those are people I partner with. Those are on a monthly retainer. And then my private community. And that's for heart-based business owners. And that's also a monthly recurring subscription. That's it. And then the other two things I do, the podcast and the newsletter, that's what I call ongoing public original thinking. So those are recurring. That's content marketing. And now in industry speak, which it didn't used to have that name. It used to be like, I'm a blogger. You don't call it like, oh, this I'm content marketing. Yeah. But those are things that I find quite joyful. It's how I keep in touch with my community. My dream though, is speaking of simplification, my dream is that my podcasts can be big enough that they earn the bulk of the living. And I don't have to anything else I do, whether it's keynote speaking or any, any other income would be icing on the cake. And that's, that's my big dream. Oh, there you go. And recognizing that's your dream and, you know, working towards, I guess, tweaking it or making those changes going forward over time. Yeah, exactly. And it's taken time to get to that insight. And I have a lot of noise. A lot of podcasters say it's like, they kind of treat it if somebody says, oh, I want to be an actor. And then the advice is, listen, if you can be anything else, go do that because it's too hard to make it as an actor or my husband, he's a fine artist. They'll say the same thing about podcasting. It's impossible. I don't even know how I got here. Um, Nobody knows how to grow. It's harder and harder. And I just, if I listened to those messages, I wouldn't do anything. So I'm not guaranteed to succeed at this vision that I have, but I try not to hold myself back from what other people say unnecessarily because you never know. I'm kind of like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. If there's a one in a million chance, someone's telling me there's a chance. There you go. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. As a speaker, I know how to connect with the audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, 
and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com slash speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. Well, and, and one thing is for certain, for the most part, unless you're just some big name celebrity and all of a sudden you say, hey, and now I've got a podcast. For the most part, uh, if, if you want to get to that level, like anything, it does take time and it doesn't happen overnight, but it takes consistent work. Yes, consistent. And I'm also always open to a nonlinear breakthrough. Like I try to, well, yeah. like, I, just like you said, I've had an online platform for 15 years, newsletter for 10 years, podcast, at least pivot podcast I've had for six. So you're right. It's time. It's reps. It's just, I call it a thousand tiny iterations over time. And I'm always thinking like, what's the nonlinear breakthrough? What's going to, what's going to make a hockey stick in the growth? What, what am I missing? That could be some nonlinear growth spurt, you know, like a teenager <laughs> who goes from like how they just sprout or, or even puppies, how they just one day sprout and they look like a different dog. And so, um, I like that creative exercise too. I don't always come up to, with anything, but I'm always available and open toward a nonlinear breakthrough. Well, and and those nonlinear breakthroughs, to your point, for the most part, I don't think you can plan for an exact yeah, breakthrough to happen. That's so true. But they do happen. And to your point in your book, you have to be ready. You have you you, yes. you can't have a nonlinear breakthrough happen where all of a sudden, you know what, here's Jenny's podcast, and you know, you're now having a million people go look for your podcast. Do you have the system to support that? You've got to have that system in place already. Right. Like actually, this happened once uh I had a big person had me on their podcast. And then shortly after that, my pivot had just launched shortly after that, I kind of went on hiatus. And I think I, I kind of broke the momentum that could have come from that opportunity because I was kind of burnt out. I just wasn't consistent, didn't have great systems. So yeah, if a million people were to come to the podcast, are my systems set where I have enough episodes in the can, I can still publish consistently to your point. And, um, yeah, I, I think about that a lot and I know it's in the book, but I say it, are you ready for your big break or would your business break that question? I ask myself, I've asked it for a decade because I also think sometimes the nonlinear breakthrough is not like, Oh, Tim Ferriss called it's an internal shift. Like it's an internal moment, an aha moment where your perspective changes somehow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, and even for myself, like my podcast, I started this podcast it was summer of 2020. So now we're coming up on two years, I guess. And it's been one of those things where it's just like, I keep telling myself, you know what? I'm not creating this for the numbers. I'm doing this for myself. And if one person hears it, that's just great. I've had, now they, they weren't major, but all of a sudden within this past two weeks, I've had a couple of maybe mini nonlinear breakthroughs where all of a sudden some, 
you know, like mid-level publications have listed the podcast as like, hey, here's a podcast to help you grow your brand. Here's one of our top customer experience podcasts. And so all of a sudden, like I've had, some, like to your point, I've had some names of people that otherwise, you know, two years ago, I would have been wanting to reach out to have them guest my podcast, have reached out directly to me saying, hey, I'd like to be a guest in your podcast. So it's being able to accept that and recognize that, but also make sure I've got the systems in place to support it. That's so exciting. Yeah. I love that. That started to happen for you. I call it serendipity popcorn. I, I keep, yeah. I feel bad. I'm telling you what you already know from reading, but I love those moments where it's like the popcorn starts popping faster and faster. Yes. <laughs> That's really exciting. Anyone who's listening, you, you have to get the book to be able to read this, of course, but I loved your popcorn poem. Oh, thank you. You're the first person that gave me feedback on my silly popcorn poem. <laughs> That's so funny. You remember that. I mean, like as I was reading that and then reading the reading the context for your business, popcorn serendipity, realizing, you know what? It's right because you are you're sitting there waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and then pop. Something good happens yes. and then pop, yes. pop. Two more good things happen. Wow. How'd that happen? <laughs> and then it just goes and goes and goes. My dad, it's funny when he was editing the book, he gave me feedback. He's like, Popcorn is not quite the right metaphor because it's not a chain reaction. It's hard to explain, but he's like, it's not totally serendipity. It's not random. It's not a random acceleration. It's not a chain reaction. It's simply just that once you turn the heat up, all the kernels will pop. Will pop. But then we, the compromise we reached is, well, as the author or podcaster or creator, business owner, whatever title we can be the one to turn the heat up. So sure, all the kernels, like there is a direct relationship of heat and the popcorn popping. But I think of that with serendipity. It's like, we can still create the conditions for those pops to accelerate. And the conditions have to be just right. If you try and turn the heat up too much, you're going to end up with a lot of burnt popcorn. I know. I haven't thought about this yet of what happens toward the end of the popcorn like, what does it mean when the bag is full and then you have to take it out of the microwave and you leave it too long and it's burnt and then it ruins the whole thing. And so it's like, you know, I'd like to think we have a limitless supply of serendipity, but <laughs> maybe the memo is like, don't be greedy. Don't over pop, right. you know, like leave some kernels. Don't, you don't need to milk everything for all it's worth. You can <laughs> leave some kernels in the bag and, and like step back and have gratitude. You'll have perfectly popped popcorn, <laughs> when you've created conditions that cook the popcorn just long enough to where there's still a handful of kernels in there. Otherwise, you're going to get <laughs> burnt popcorn and it's going to smell up the whole house oh, and you're I not going to enjoy it. And like, I, one other thing I'll just say is that I think what I was getting at, what I like about business, specifically word of mouth marketing, is that because like with popcorn, there's no if this, then that relationship between the kernels. Like one kernel doesn't say to the other, oh my gosh, I just became a popcorn. You know, you got to go pop. You're going to love this. Right. However, with books like you're doing here, it's so powerful because books are anything that we create. That's why I love thinking out loud is that uh, people can tell each other. And so my favorite way of marketing is what, exactly what you talk about, but like putting thought into the brand to get people excited so that they have a feeling when they experience it. So they want to tell their friend when they're done. To me, I had a mentor say like, authors don't keep books alive, readers do. And I think that's true for anything. I almost feel with my podcasts, yes, sometimes I'll ask people to share the episode with a friend, but do I really need to ask? Because we all know that when you listen to an episode that you love, you have to send it to a friend. You you send it to your friend and you go, you got to listen to this exactly what you're going through right now. 
the host, it's not because the host said, Hey, could you share this with a friend? It's like, it just has to be good enough that the people will want to spread the word. Absolutely right. Yeah. Because you, you have to make sure that you've got the conditions set in place to where someone simply wants to share, or they just are so compelled that they have to share it or that they know the right person who hasn't heard this, that that they know that this would connect with. And for me that it's ever, I'm always striving to be more specific because I think that also helps something be shareable and provide utility. Like I find at least these are my values that tend to help things be sticky. Like they have to work. And then if they work, I say the mark of a good system is it hurts not to use it. So sometimes people hear the word systems and they go, oh, I'm allergic. I'm not good at that. I'm not, I don't think that way. My mind doesn't work that way. But I guarantee you, when you have a good system, you you can't not use it. It's harder not to use it. So I'm always striving to create immense value and utility that people are like, oh my gosh, this helped me so much. You have to try it. There you go. Well, and so talking about systems, I think you know this. I come from a corporate brand management background. So I love the recommendation that you have around creating style guides, you know, in your business. And of course, I get the value of that. But can you explain the value of having style guides from your perspective? Yeah, I learned these from the brand team that worked with me on Pivot and Free Time. A style guide, there's so much that goes into a brand. And yeah, exactly. You know this stuff, Matt. But a lot of people think that the brand is just the logo or the color scheme. <laughs> no. And it's so much more than that. It's My friend Lindsay also wrote a fantastic book called Forging an Ironclad Brand that really goes through, there's so much deep thinking that happens before you ever get to what it looks like. And you like free time. It's a feeling. It's It starts with a feeling. And, and I actually went to the brand team with a flying money emoji. And I'm like, this is the brand, you know, and we've incorporated, you'll see wings. And anyway, that, that carried through, but it's about how you want people to feel, how you stand out, what makes you unique, what are your do's and don'ts. So a style guide outlines all of that guidelines of what's going to be your signature visual voice. And as well, like if you have team members, communication, is it warm? or super straight edge professional. Can you swear on your podcast? Can your guests swear or not? Um, Can you use more than one emoji in a subject line for an email or not? Do you, are you, do you like animated GIFs or not? Do you use stock photography or not? Like there are all these questions that add up to defining the brand so much that goes beyond the content itself. And I think is equally important. It is. And I think that it helps proactively answer a lot of questions that somebody would have, especially when you get to that assign phase. Hey, I need you to write this piece of content for me. Uh, Okay, um, but I'm not you. And so I don't know your voice. That's okay. The style guide covers that. Yeah, exactly. It, It reduces confusion. And it also reduces frustration, as you described, of the team member saying, uh, I don't know how to do this, of the manager saying, oh, this ne- things are never done right. I should right. just do it myself. Yeah, It's like, everybody's clearer on how to handle things. And by the way, as I say in the book, every question lives three lives. So if a team member is confused and they have to ask you, hey, by the way, is it okay to use emoji? 
in this email? And you go, yes, great. That's question number one. That's the first life. But now they should document that in your internal systems or what I call the manager manual. That's the second life. And then life number three is sometimes you'll post information publicly on your website so that customers and visitors also have access if the quest, the Q&A is kind of related to that. You will know if your style guide isn't clear because team members ask you questions or they turn in work that you don't like. That means your style guide needs work. You got to keep building it out. And it gets smarter and smarter over time to the point where when the third team member touches it, it's abundantly clear what to do. Right. And, and there's no questions. And then you've removed the friction of all the answers and the back and forth. And you're in, you're in what is most likely that flow. Yes, 100%. Well, so on the other side, you know, from brand style guides, you've talked to us a couple of times, you've talked about creating a manager manual. Talk to me about a manager manual. Explain what goes into that and the value of that. The manager manual, yeah, this is my name for a really process. So in typical biz speak, it's SOPs, standard operating procedures. I run my entire business using Notion, which eliminated the need for docs and sheets and Airtables and Asana and Evernote. It just consolidates it all into one place. The manager manual is that all information about your business, it, none of it lives in somebody's head. So whatever software you're going to use, everything should be searchable, interlinkable, and customizable, meaning it's almost like a wiki or an intranet for your company. Again, because otherwise, if you don't create one of these, the owner's the bottleneck or the manager of the team is the bottleneck, period, end of story, because things live in their head. And if you do have team members and they leave, you get brain drain where people leave with valuable knowledge about how to do their job and they take it with them. So what you want is that the business itself is always getting smarter and smarter through the manager manual. And now I even created a separate one called the email guide that just has instructions about how to answer different types of emails. And that way, there's no intelligence about the business that only lives in anyone's head, including the owner or the manager. And you personally, your business, you have it in Notion which makes it a lot simpler for you and your team to easily go in and update as needed. Yeah, exactly. And search for things because you don't always know where to find everything. And sometimes, by the way, the manager manual does get clunky and bloated. And I do think it's a good idea to once a quarter or twice a year kind of have a fix it where you go in, you see what's out of date. Ideally, though, the Fiji test is things do not get vastly out of date because as we saw the last few years, someone can get sick and just taken out for three weeks. And right. you don't want everything to be so out of date that other people don't know how to step in and do that work. Yeah. And, and that was in my corporate role. That was something that, that we had to focus on was we called them SOPs. Here are all of our SOPs. They're in PDF documents and they're stored in this shared drive over here. And we update them. We, we review them and update them once a year. Whereas a lot of times, like some things may change and some things may change fairly drastically for one of those SOPs uh, throughout the year. Right. And yeah, having things like shoved away on a shelf in a binder, that's not going to work for anyone. That's like, I might as well not have it at all. And I do think sometimes fresh eyes help you see what could be improved as well. You know, like sometimes it does take fresh eyes because I've gone into certain manager manual and I'm like, what were we thinking? Or this is so clunky. This is out of date. And anything like that, that just feels clunky, there's most likely room for improvement. So I always tell everyone on my team, like, I don't take it personally. If you find something draining and you don't enjoy it, let's talk about it. Because I guarantee we could come up with a better way to do it. 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, everybody probably has an idea on how we can improve this. So let's go ahead and improve it instead of just having too many people complain about the process. Mm-hmm. As I was reading the book, and we, we've already talked about popcorn, but as I was reading the book, one of the many feelings I had, you know, it had a lot of emotions and feelings, but one of them was being hungry. And I think it's because you talk a lot <laughs> yes. about food. You talked about That's cakes true. and cookies and popcorn and baking. That leads to a practice that you talk about, which is to bake in batches. So explain mm. to me what bake in batches is and what's the value around that? My friend Jeffrey put it really well after he read that section. <laughs> and he re- has a podcast called The Self-Employed Life. I interviewed him oh, uh, did? last week. Yeah. Oh, cool. He's great. Yeah. I, wh- the way he said it was even better than how I ex- explained it, which is like, you don't get out all the ingredients and preheat the oven and mix everything together to only put one ball of cookie dough on a tray and bake one cookie. But a lot of us are doing that in our business, especially when it comes to content. And so, you know, you've probably heard the term batching before. I didn't invent it. But it's been so helpful for me to batch, whether it's batching podcast interviews, I do them all on Wednesdays or my newsletters, I create them on Monday. I call it made by Monday. That's my content creation batch day. I try to even sometimes create podcasts and newsletters. The bottom line is how can you bake in batches and not just put one cookie on the tray and then have all this friction and tension and procrastination of, oh no, I have another newsletter to write. I learned from my friend, Alan Dibb. I love what he does. He, because newsletters can be tiring in particular because you write it every week. They're never ending. Right. What he does is after he sends one, he takes out any time and date of references and he evergreens it. And so he puts it into a welcome series that his is over a year long now. Mine is now 90 days where I'm recycling things that otherwise new people would miss. And if you join the time well spent newsletter today, you will already have 90 or 100 days of some of my best content. So it's also nice to batch in a sense, or let's say re reuse. And I don't know how that goes with cookies <laughs> because uh, if we were going to continue the baking metaphor, Oh yeah, I don't but know. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we could solve this metaphor if we, if we tried, but you get the idea. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've got like a whole batch of cookie dough and you've got more than enough to make cookies, you make the cookies, well, then you've got some leftover cookie dough and then you can use that and either serve that, eat that, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> way to think about it. But essentially, yeah, that, that um, you don't have to start from scratch. Like let's say the baking utensils, you know, you're reusing, you're cleaning them, reusing them. So there the same thing can happen with content. That's it. Yeah. You don't have to throw away all your utensils now that you've used them. You can reuse the utensils and right. send out more cookies. <laughs> yes. I love it. Wow. And maybe the the tray, like once you have a nice tray that you like, you know, the tray is the container. It's the structure. It's the same every time, even though you're baking new cookies on it, the structure is there. It's in the recipe and between the recipe and the tools, it supports that easier baking process. That's there, we it. Did it. That's it. You know what? I think you've got an, I think you now have another book in you that is half cookbook, like half, half oh recipes gosh, along so with funny. tying that to your business. Can you imagine? That would be so <laughs> funny. But well, there is a, a woman, I don't know her personally, Kendra Adachi just came out with a book called The Lazy Genius Kitchen. 
Oh. And her previous book was called The Lazy Genius. And she's a woman after my own heart because she strives to like be a genius at the things that matter and really lazy at the things that don't. So she's also all about systems and structure. That's it. There you go. All right. We've talked about your align phase. We've talked about some of the things in the design phase. The final phase in the framework is your assign phase. And I, I was saying earlier, to me, this one is the hardest. And I think a lot of people would feel the same. So why is assigning so hard for people? There was a business podcast I heard called The Boutique. And the guy said, all your biggest problems are walking around on two feet. And uh, it's just so funny. It's like, because people are involved and people are complicated and it's just, there's more at stake, I feel, with the assigned stage in a way, because you have to get it out of your head. You got to delegate it. You got to give feedback and you got to find the right people to even delegate to. So there's a little bit more complexity. It's worth it on the other side. The reward on the other side is that you really create redundancy in the business and the business owner has less stress, less pressure because they know they can step back and they are more in their zone of genius. But I think it's just so hard because many of us are close to the work and we want it to be done a certain way and it feels nerve wracking and introduces uncertainty about how the delegating will go. And there's a delegation curve where in the beginning, it is more work because you do have to teach somebody, onboard them, give them feedback, create the process. It is a lot more work. Still, it's worth doing 2x the work now so that moving forward, once everyone's in a groove, hopefully it's 0.5 or 0.25x the work. Yeah. And it's possible and likely that whoever is now taking over that work is able to see some things that you yourself don't see, and they can see how to improve it even further than if you were still wanting to do it on your own. Yeah. And sometimes I like to delegate to software. I mean, so you can also Zapier I use for everything. And there are so many aspects of the business that you can automate through Zapier of like adding people now more and more software services are connecting to Zapier. So it's getting easier and easier as well over time. But I think people would be surprised how much you can delegate to tools before you even have to build out any kind of team. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got delegation. You've also got automation as well. You can delegate it to software. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and when it comes to delegation, I think some people can either over micromanage, but on the other side, I think sometimes people may not even play enough of a role in the assignment where they just said, I'm delegating this to you and go take care of everything with the person not even knowing how to do it. So how do you figure out where to land in that delegation sweet spot? Yeah, I've definitely, you just got to get it wrong. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you got to do it both. I've I've been overly involved in micromanaging and there have been times where I've been too hands off and things just kind of go off the rails because I'm not involved enough. So try to get as clear as you can before you assign the work. Exactly. What does it look like? Go through the free time framework. You know, what's important to you about it? Design the outcomes. What does success look like? What will happen by when? Create clear milestones. Try to, in advance, think through everything that could go wrong or what would have you be dissatisfied with the work and try to address it upfront. You won't always know though. So sometimes you do have to give that feedback and learn the hard way. and that's it. I don't think there's, honestly, I don't think there's a magic answer to this, but I will say that you got to kind of, as the business owner, everything's on you. It's like the work wasn't done well. That's your fault. Why? Because maybe you didn't assign it well, or you didn't choose the right person, but you got to own it, which hurts. It's frustrating not to be able to just 
kind of blame everyone else, but I find that uh, that's the only way to kind of improve it for the future is to say, where did I go wrong here as the owner? Was I not clear enough with my expectations? Am I being too demanding? Did I give this to the right person? And really looking inward when things do go wrong. Well, and you have to understand too that it's okay to go wrong. For the most part, most of us in our businesses are not doing things where when a mistake is made, it's the end of the world. In my previous uh, corporate role, I used to coach or tell people, when you make a mistake, did you cause one of our planes to fall out of the sky? Or did your mistake cause our stock price to actually move negatively? If not, it's okay. So I think that ties to what we were talking about earlier around permission, giving yourself and your team permission to get it wrong, to better understand what steps you need to take to get it right next time. Yeah, I love that. So it's all about permission. I think so. I mean, I think that, yeah, free time. So we have to give ourselves permission to do things differently. And again, unhook from all the stories, all the structures, all the systems, all the things that are keeping us constrained. And uh, so, yeah, I do think that permission can go a very, very long way. There you go. And then and, and permission is so freeing when you have that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, last question for you, Jenny. If you were to create a soundtrack for free time, what songs would you include? Well, I, you get, this is such good homework that you give your guests. And I did have a free time playlist while I was working on the book. I've not shared it publicly, but for your oh, listeners oh. and for you, Matt, because you asked, we can put the link in the show notes if you want to. Oh yes, please. Yeah. Hooray. So I will give you that link. I'm, I'm like a little nervous because it's not, it's not my greatest playlist of all time, but I did have a pivot playlist of pivoty songs. And while I was working on that book and I do have one for free time. So, but the five that I would say really make the cut of truly embody free time. There's a song called free Emily. Sandy, I don't know. I only ever read her name. That one's a little older. I love it. There is a song called Walking in the Sun by Pang. I heard that when I was in a hammock on the beach in Mexico. And that was like such a blissful moment. And DJ put that on. Oh, fun. The Lime Tree by Trevor Hall. It's just such a kickback song. I actually had Trevor on my Pivot podcast and I got to go backstage and meet him before one of his concerts. And wow. that was just exquisite and apparently it's this runaway hit it's his most popular song and he didn't expect that it's like the lime tree what even is that i would also add nako's black as night specifically because there's a, a line where he says i believe in the good things coming oh, which i yeah. love we can amend it to i believe in the nonlinear breakthroughs coming in the serendipity popcorn yep. in the cookies and then finally i'll end with hallelujah either the Leonard Cohen or the mm. Jeff Buckley or the Pentatonics. I love this song, Hallelujah. Even if the lyrics are a little bit sad, it yeah. just reminds me of the spiritual connection and grace and gratitude and the bigger picture of it all. Oh, that's it. That's absolutely it. And you referenced this earlier when we were talking and it's in your book as well. It's for that greater good or that thing that is bigger than you. And recognizing that you want this freer life, you've got permission for it. It's okay. So well summarized. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I'm grateful to you and to everyone who's here listening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I love that playlist. And thanks for sharing that with me. I will share your free time 
Spotify playlist with everybody else as well. Awesome. All right. So last question, uh, where can people go to learn more from you? Yeah, you can search for free time with Jenny Blake, wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're not totally sick of me, I also did a playlist. <laughs> I'll give it to you too, Matt. I normally don't share this at the end, but I have a free time podcast tour playlist. So you could just binge and hear how much I repeat myself, which no other really wants to do, but it's just these little nuggets are at the top of our mind. And then right. <laughs> it's hard not to do that. So anyway, this podcast, Pivot Podcast, and you can visit itsfreetime.com slash toolkit to get all the free resources that go with the book and a lot of the concepts that we've talked about. Oh, hooray. And I went and signed up for your toolkit. And now like I'm actually searching and researching into Notion. I'm like, huh, could Notion Ooh. work for me and my business? Let's find out. Yeah, well, well you got to check out the Notion dashboard because I also already built it for you. It's that's done. True. That's so you true. can check that one more thing off your list. It's done. It's built. Hooray. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for that. And Jenny, I recognize yeah. your time is extremely valuable to you. So I'm grateful that you decided to spend some of it with me today. Oh my gosh, what a joy. Can't imagine a better way to spend it. Thank you so much, Matt. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jenny Blake. So go and learn more from her at itsfreetime.com slash toolkit. You'll get free access to all the resources, tools, and templates that go along with the book, including Jenny's Notion dashboard. Look, uh, Jenny's actually the third person in the past week who's recommended Notion to me as a tool for managing, organizing, and systematizing my business. So I'm definitely going to be checking it out. And if I like it, if I stick with it, I'll definitely share the results and the lessons with you. Also, be sure and check out Jenny's podcasts, Free Time with Jenny Blake and Pivot with Jenny Blake. Both of them are full of fun guests and insightful lessons to help you gain more control of your business, your career, and your life. And if you want to go deeper on the lessons that Jenny and I discussed today, then go pick up your copy of her book, Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business. It's available everywhere books are sold. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Clint White. Recognized as Crane's New York business top entrepreneur, Clint White brings 30 years of experience as a marketer, consultant, a teacher, and business builder. And he's the host of the Tattoos Not Brands podcast. And... Clint just released his first book of the same name, Tattoos, Not Brands, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Smart Marketing and Business Building. Clint and I discuss his flexible tattoo approach to consumer engagement as a better choice for most businesses. Now, unlike market-driven brands, Clint says that tattoos are mission-driven. Tattoos are personable, relatable, and nimble enough to evolve with consumer needs, and they don't break the bank. The tattoos get consumers talking enthusiastically online and offline about how your product makes a difference in their lives. Now, not only do we talk about his tattoo approach, we also discuss the simple steps that you can take to prepare for success and identify the right approaches to marketing that'll best work for you and your product. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Clint's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. 
Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.